Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You know, the Bible uh, says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I must say that your noise this morning has brought me great joy. And so um, I sense that you're joyful in the Lord as well. And, and I want to encourage you by just uh, letting you know that that's coming through in your voice. So thank you for, um, for encouraging all of us in that way. I see some new faces this morning. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, great to have you. Uh, our desire, of course, is just be of service to you and encouragement to your faith in the Lord. And so um, we just we just excited that you're here, encouraged that you're here, and uh, we want you to know we've been praying for you uh, as well. Uh, will you please take your Bible and meet me in the book of Acts? Next week, <clears throat> I'm actually going to begin. I've been thinking, praying, reading for quite some time now. And next week, I'm going to begin a new sermon series in the book of Acts. Beginning from Acts 1, verse 1, and continuing through the entire book. Um, this morning is a standalone message, also from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. So you can turn to Acts chapter 20, and uh, we'll be reading that together here shortly. In June of last year, you received a letter from the Elder Board explaining that we were in a season of elder transition. And in that letter, we mentioned some options available to us, and we asked uh, you to pray with us in seeking clarity from the Lord regarding men who aspire to serve as elders and who are called by God to such a task. In November of last year, roughly six months later, we wrote to inform you that we'd begun to see some clear evidence of God's answer to those prayers. And we formally presented three men who have been part of our church for years and had taken part in our eldership training program uh, that, uh, that we launched in the fall of 2016. We asked you to pray for these three men, Ross Elmendorf and Sean Kinney and Andre Yelhokovsky, talking with them and us about their possible inclusion onto the elder board. In December, you heard from each of them how they came to faith in Christ, how they came to call East Parkway their church home, how they have sensed God's call to the eldership, and how they desire to serve you well in this capacity. Last week, you had the opportunity to affirm their call, and as the results clearly reveal, you did just that. Nearly 70 affirmation cards were received last week, most of them on Sunday, though some came via email and personal contact. And as you may have read already in the email that went out on Friday, uh, the congregational response in calling these three men to the elder board was overwhelmingly positive. As all three of them received greater than 95% affirmation. 
Now, to put that into some perspective, I've learned over the years in my interactions with other pastors and those in ministry that any time you call for congregational response and receive over 75% agreement, it is a very good sign. I mean, just think about it. Seven, 75%, three out of every four people are agreeing. To receive 80 to 90% is remarkable. Well, anything in the 90s is a clear sign of God's, of unity and oneness and confirmation from the Lord. When I was called to serve as your pastor nearly nine years ago, I received 93%. And although I'm not sure what to think of the fact that each of these three men, all three of them without exception exceeded me in this way, (laughs) I am so excited by your response as a congregation. Because this much is clear. Church, I want you to hear this. As a church, we have sought the Lord for wisdom and confirmation, and He has confirmed each of these men at every turn, from every direction, with every step we've taken throughout the process. And therefore today, we have the joy of formally appointing them to the elder board at East Parkway Church. This morning, I want to speak with you from God's word concerning the gravity and grace of eldership. In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul gathers the elders of the church at Ephesus to remind them of things past and prepare them for things to come. And then he commends them to God and to the gospel of grace. And the heartbeat of this text is that though elders must care for Christ's blood-bought church... Thankfully, God supplies all the grace needed along the way. Let's read this together. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. It's a lengthy passage. Well worth our time. Acts 17, or Acts 20, verse 17, through the end of the chapter. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions 
await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the church, all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It is a gift to us. We receive it gratefully. We receive it gladly. We want to receive all that you have for us this morning. Thank you for the gift of the day, in fact, this day. Not only because it is uh, a gift, a day that you have made, but because the day itself and life itself is a gift from you. And on this particular day, we here at this particular church, East Parkway Church, we thank you for for this being a significant event in our life, a significant time in this place. We thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to to install or appoint elders, new elders in the church. God, we thank you for how you have overseen this entire process and how for many months you have led us down this road. We thank you for our current elders and and their wisdom and and grace and discernment. We thank you for how you've confirmed in each of their hearts the direction you have. We thank you for our newly appointed elders or soon-to-be-appointed elders. We thank you for how you have stirred their aspirations in this direction, how they are eager and hungry to serve the church in this way. We believe and know that you who have called them for this task will equip them for it. And we thank you for the church. Father, we thank you 
uh, just the way in which the church has responded so well to this. Thank you how we have worked hard to preserve unity and how we are eager to maintain that unity in the Spirit. Thank you for the wonderful questions that the congregation has asked over the months and for the few concerns that have been expressed and for the support and encouragement received. And so now, God, we come before you with glad hearts and we're anxious and eager to learn what you have for us this morning. So give us ears to hear your word, your voice today. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you enable our ability to receive your truth? Would you continue to foster oneness among us that we might represent Jesus Christ in the very best way to the utmost degree? And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take this in three parts. Verses 18 through 21, and then again, uh, 33 through 35. Those verses refer to Paul's previous ministry. Paul's previous ministry. Verses 23 and 24 speak to Paul's future ministry, or more specifically, his call to Jerusalem. Well, verses 25 through 32 um, talk about Paul's present concern. So Paul's previous ministry, Paul's future ministry in Jerusalem, and Paul's present concern. That's where we're going this morning. Verse 17 finds the Apostle Paul in the city of Miletus, a port city on the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. Preparing to set sail for Jerusalem, he arranged a meeting with the elders from the church at Ephesus, the church that was located in that city. And this passage describes that meeting as Paul spoke with those men about his previous ministry and his call to future ministry elsewhere. Verses 18 through 21 tell of Paul's ministry among the believers at Ephesus. He had served them humbly, he says, as if serving the Lord. He had served them empathetically with tears. He served them steadfastly through many trials. He served them publicly in the synagogue and privately from house to house. And as we later read in verses 33 through 35, he also served them sacrificially in that he worked with his own hands so as to never burden or overwhelm them with his material needs. But most of all, Paul served them purposefully, notice, in that his ministry always purposed to point them to that which mattered most, namely, repentance from sin and faith in Christ. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, he says in verses 20 and 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the word shrink. I did not shrink from declaring to you. 
Now this speaks to Paul's boldness, certainly, but it's more than simply being bold. Because implied in this word is the temptation to shrink or withdraw in fear. In other words, the Apostle Paul is admitting to a degree, a degree of fearfulness about what people may think, say, or do in response to his ministry of the gospel. And yet he remained faithful and did not shrink from declaring their need for repentance and faith. Now, I find this so encouraging, church, on so many levels, because do we not sometimes wrestle with this very same fear about what people may think, say, or do if we were to share the gospel with them? And are we not sometimes tempted then to pull back, to withdraw, to shrink in this way when calling people to repentance and faith? But this is what people need most to repent and believe. Each one of us is best served when we align our lives to the will of God. And we turn from going our own way to go His instead. And each one of us is best served when we place trust in Jesus by following Him in thought, word, and deed. Church, if I ever shrink from faithfully urging your repentance and faith, forgive me. But if I do so on a consistent basis, replace me. Because pastors, shepherds, overseers, elders... Each of these words is used interchangeably in the New Testament. We should be marked by repentance and faith, and we should call you to the same. That which is most profitable to you in any given circumstance is your repentance toward God and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Paul knew this. It had been the hallmark of his ministry in Ephesus. And after recounting his work in that city, he went on to tell of his call to Jerusalem in verses 22 and 23. And now behold, he says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. What I want us to focus on here is how Paul is very honest in admitting that he doesn't know the exact details of his call to Jerusalem. Only that the Spirit constrains him and tells him that afflictions await. He doesn't know what his ministry will entail. 
He doesn't know for how long he'll be gone. He doesn't know what will become of him. But he was called nonetheless, and he answered the call. Paul was a man of faith, embarking on a new season of ministry by faith. And by faith, hear this, he understood that God sometimes calls you to something without providing all the answers ahead of time and even leads you, God will even lead you sometimes into ministry that will be marked by difficulty and affliction. I think this is a timely word for us as a congregation, particularly as we appoint new men to the elder board this morning, because by this church we are reminded that just because God's call is clearly upon our elders and upon us as a congregation, it does not mean we know every detail of what the future holds. Nor does it mean that our church will somehow avoid hardship. It simply means that we, like Paul, must walk by faith and continual trust in the Lord. Are you with me? I believe this is a timely word for our elders. Elders, hear me here. I cannot help but think that as those Ephesian elders listened to Paul and knew of the trials that Paul had already endured and will endure, they were necessarily reminded that serving the Lord by faith comes with inherent cost. There's a cost. Even as they heard Paul give account of his life and the ministry to which God had called him, perhaps they were also strengthened in their faith to faithfully tend to the ministry they had received from God as well. As a church, we must all walk the path that God has set before us and do so by faith in Him. Paul modeled that for them. And now for us, as the remembrance of his past ministry and his call to Jerusalem conjoined to emphasize his present concern. Paul was concerned for the elders at Ephesus as well as the church that gathered there. Paul was concerned. He says in verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. I'm sure that some of you have experienced something like this. Maybe as you've gathered with loved ones, either to hear some parting words or to share some yourself. And in moments like these, you move beyond trivialities to speak from the heart. And to express your love and affection. I remember returning home from Europe in the summer of 1990. I was 18 years old and had spent two months on mission traveling from country to country and city to city with my peers, partners in ministry, sharing the Lord with anyone and everyone. Two months is not particularly long, yet even in that relatively short time, our hearts became one 
There were over 80 of us from across the United States and Canada. And when we gathered in London one last time before our final departure home, we said our goodbyes through tears, knowing that most of us would never cross paths again this side of heaven. That's what's happening here between Paul and the Ephesian elders. They'd grown close over the years, and now Paul knows that God is calling him elsewhere, that this is his last opportunity to see them and speak with them, providing one last word of encouragement and exhortation before parting ways. He begins by expressing concern for their response to the gospel notice, testifying in verses 26 and 27 that he was innocent of their blood because he did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Now, the whole counsel of God can mean, in general, the whole of Scripture. Genesis to Revelation. It means we shouldn't limit ourselves only to those portions of the Bible that were comfortable, that are more comfortable or convenient. We shouldn't do that. If we're to grow in our understanding of Scripture, we should give ourselves to all portions of the Bible and to see how each portion fits within the whole. But more specifically, I think what Paul is referring to here is that the whole counsel of God uh, speaks to the gospel itself. Including the full scope of God's redemptive plan uh, from creation and fall to redemption and restoration. The whole counsel of God could be something like this. You and I We were created by God, and therefore we exist for God. But as a human race, we chose self over God. We fell from glory in this way, and we've felt the effects, the terrible effects of this sin ever since. We are born into sin. Our very natures are diseased by it. And like any disease, there are consequences. Because God is without sin, unless He intervenes, we will die in sin and therefore spend eternity apart from Him, not in heaven, but in hell. But the good news is that God has intervened by providing a Savior who rescues from sin and its dreadful consequence, the Lord Jesus Christ who bore our sins on the cross so that we could be forgiven, cleansed, and made right with God. Jesus lived, died, and then rose from the dead, and He lives today over all things, rules over all things, sovereign over all things, lives today to bring new and everlasting life to all who will trust and follow Him. And He is coming again. This is what we're looking forward to. He is coming again, we're told, the Bible says, to right all wrongs and restore all things. So, though parts of the gospel may be unpopular or difficult to say or hear, Paul didn't admit them and neither should we. To the Ephesian elders, he said, essentially, you've heard the truth of the gospel. 
and you've had ample opportunity to respond to it. The church there in Ephesus, the church there, the members of that church, they've heard, they've heard the truth of the gospel. And they've had ample opportunity to respond to it. And so your blood, their blood, it's not on my hands. Because I didn't shrink from declaring these things to you. And the implication, of course, I think, is twofold. First, each one of us must respond to the gospel personally. I suspect that most of us, even in this room this morning, have heard the gospel repeatedly and have had ample opportunity to respond. Either from this pulpit or elsewhere. So the first implication is you must respond to the gospel personally. How do you, how will you respond to Jesus? And then secondly, in the context of this passage, elders are to be gospel-saturated, gospel-driven men who are likewise committed to the whole counsel of God. Paul is concerned for their own well-being, for the well-being of the elders themselves. And he tells them in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Now maybe this is because Paul knew just how all-consuming ministry can be or how easily ministers can drop their guard or how frequently they fall by the wayside. Just, just this week, I was reminded of an alarming statistic, a, a sobering statistic. Did you, re, did you realize, do you realize that on average, about 250 pastors leave the ministry each and every month? Some fail morally. Some are terribly depressed. Terribly depressed. Some are tired of dealing with contentious people. Some are simply tired of not knowing whether they're really making any difference. Sadly, pastors suffer burnout at an alarming rate. Those in ministry sometimes sacrifice the care of their own souls in the name of caring for others. Time alone with God takes a back seat to time for ministry. The planning of Sunday morning worship takes a back seat to worship itself. Preparation or participation in church life takes a back seat to one's own life or life with one's own family. Ministry, which itself is good, can easily become an idol, which obviously is not good. 
So it shouldn't surprise us that Paul urges elders to pay close attention to themselves, to be cautious and careful. Those entrusted with spiritual oversight need to be spiritually healthy if they are to capably help care for others. Pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Paul says, to care for the church of God. Paul now moves from concern for the elders specifically to a broader concern for the entire congregation, providing two particular reasons why God appoints elders to care for the church. The first reason is because it is God's flock for which he has paid a great price. The church belongs to God and is very precious to Him, so precious, in fact, that He obtained it by His own blood. The church is so dear to God that Jesus gave His life for it, so dear that the Holy Spirit gives shepherd elders to oversee and care for it, elders, above all other motivations uh, for your service in this role, the price Christ paid and the Spirit's call upon your life should rank atop the list. You are to be rightly motivated men, caring for God's church, because the people are precious to Him and because He has appointed you for the task. And the second reason why such care is needed is because the flock, we're told, will come under attack. As verses 29 and 30 attest, I know, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves uh, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Concerned for the church, Paul now urges elders to be alert, to be vigilant. Elders must be aware of what's going on among the sheep to capably feed, lead, and protect the flock. Elders must have their, I've heard it put this way, elders must have their fingers in the wool, so to speak, so that when wolves attack the sheep, they can move quickly and decisively. Honestly, this is a bit overwhelming. To care for a congregation in this way is beyond us. Who among us is capable for such a task? Who among us can carry this mantle perfectly? Who among us can stand before God one day and give an account of his own soul, much less the souls of others? as elders must do, according to Hebrews 13. Who is adequate for these things? Answer? Only God. Ultimately, only God can provide, truly provide the care we need. So in verse 32, Paul directs and entrusts these elders to God. And now I commend you to God, he says, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are being 
sanctified. Paul, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us back to grace. Thank you for bringing us to the God of all grace. Thank you, God, for your word of grace, for the gospel of grace. Thank you for its ability, for your ability, not mine, that the gospel, that, that, that you are able to build us up and give us full assurance of salvation or our final inheritance, as it says here. Thank you for reminding us that you have provided elders in the church as a means of grace for the church. Thank you that an elder's identity and worth and acceptance before God is not conditioned on his ability to shepherd well but rest solely and securely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the necessary reminder that before elders are shepherds, they are first sheep under the loving care of the good shepherd himself. Church, are you thankful for grace this morning? Listen, I, along with your elders, Jim Cookson, Wayne Griswold Sr., Jim Jordan, and now Ross and Sean and Andre. Listen, we want to serve you well. But please know that we are in need of as much grace as anyone else. We want to shepherd well. But we are imperfect sheep ourselves. So Paul, I love this. Paul did not commend these men, these elders. Paul did not commend them to himself. He did not commend them to each other. He did not commend them to the congregation at Ephesus. Instead, he entrusted them to God and to the gospel of grace. That's important for us. In just a few moments, we will formally appoint these new, these, these men to the elder board here at East Parkway, but I first want to close with verses 36 and following. When Paul had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they wouldn't see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Certainly Paul knew the responsibility that fell upon an elder's shoulders. And they knew that he knew, which undoubtedly endeared them to him and him to them. And falling to their knees, they prayed together. They wept together. The word actually means wailed together. They embraced and kissed the Apostle Paul. And then they went with him as he boarded the ship for Jerusalem. And I believe that the devotion seen here between Paul and that specific group of elders from that specific church can and should characterize the relationships in any church.
I believe any church that truly receives and appreciates the gospel is therefore driven and informed by it. I believe any church where God's grace is present should be characterized by unity, oneness, and love like this. The elder board should be marked by these traits. The congregation should be known by these traits. The relationships between elders and the congregation should be characterized by these things because in the end, we all are commended to God and to His gospel of grace. Yes, in response to the call of the Holy Spirit, elders must care for Christ's blood-bought church. And thankfully, God Himself supplies all the necessary grace along the way. So, let each one of us, all of us here at East Parkway, let each one of us receive His grace and walk in it for the good of the church and for our ministry of the gospel to the glory of God alone. Amen.